0: On VFBS
1: with Kate Jamore.
0: Hostage crisis in Algeria, retaliation against the French intervention in Mali, or something else. Are forces children getting a good deal when it comes to their education? And what prompts A-listers like David Beckham and Ray Winston to visit injured troops in hospital?
2: I'm a, I'm a supporter of uh, our boys that go in because a lot of them join the army in the first place because they haven't got a job.
0: The government's emergency committee COBRA has met to discuss the hostage crisis in Algeria, in which two men, one of them British, were killed by Islamic militants. The Foreign Office says several other Britons are among a group of Westerners being held by the gang at a BP gas plant in the desert. The Algerian army has surrounded the site. Well, I'm joined by Middle East and North Africa expert John Marks and BFBS defence analyst Christopher Lee. Hello to you both. Um, John, who are these militants and what do they want?
3: Well, the group is rooted in Algeria, even though they've been active in Mali and across the region. But basically what we're looking at is the context of a a widespread-ranging conflict across the Sahel in which people from various countries, Algeria, Mauritania, Mali, have coalesced to challenge the established states, some of which are very fragile. What they want at the moment will clearly, until... The end of last week, when the French decided to intervene in Mali, the Islamists, these groups were doing extremely well in that very fragile state um, and were looking like they were going to roll back the government, hence the French intervention. So, yes, I think that there are um, they, they, they want to link things in to try and roll back. Um, the the French and cause real problems and embarrassments for Western governments. But also there are a range of other local issues, including um, trying to release some prisoners in Algeria and possibly also to earn some money from ransom. So it's a a complex situation.
0: So how much of the timing of this hostage-taking is directly related to the French intervention in Mali?
3: Well, I think the timing... I mean, I don't think you can divorce the two. Um, There's the questioning of when the planning was done, Um, Clearly, the group linked to Mokhtaba Mokhtar that actually has occupied the Anaminas gas plant um, will have known and scouted out the region before. But I think there is a a piece of political grandstanding. The fact is they're trying to force the issue. And after uh, a week in which things have not gone well for the Islamists, actually to create a a new political situation. So I think there is um, a, a linkage there.
0: Christopher Lee, how much do you know about this group of militants in Algeria?
4: Well, the important part, if it's identified as Moktab el mm-hmm. um, is that he is an Algerian, that when he was about 18 or 19, he went off to Afghanistan to be trained in the al-Qaeda camps that he returned in 1992 back to Algeria for the so-called Dirty War under the day that occurred then. And since then, he has grown as somebody who knows where to get arms, knows how to get money in all the ways that uh, John's described. But last December, I think it was, John, if I'm wrong, I think it was December or November, he split, didn't he? He split from, some, uh, from, the, from the main group. And so that gives us another thing to think about. And do we
0: know why he did that?
4: Uh, I don't know why he did it, other than he was trying to do far too much and he disagreed with the, everybody disagreed with what he was doing. He was going out on his own. But the important thing is it, it's an indicator that we shouldn't just be thinking in one group. There are other groups with ambitions, and more importantly, it's the leaders with ambitions rather than, the, if you like, the Islamist uh, soldiers. The other thing to remember, I think, you know, last November... We were anticipating a French intervention and we talked about it on this program regularly, and therefore, if we were thinking in those sort of terms Mokhtar is uh, was knew all about that. Everybody seems to have known about that the possibility is in Mali and certainly in Algeria. That's how you link the two things, rather than French arriving and his lot saying, oh, we'll go and knock out a gas station.
0: Indeed. Uh, and, John, about the, the, the placing of this uh, gas station, I understand, it, although it's a long way from Mali, it lies on an important trade route.
3: Well, we're talking about huge distances. So, yeah, there are all the trade routes, and as Christopher said... Uh, Moktelban, Mokhtar. these groups of people know very well how the routes through the desert go. You know, they've been doing it for years, smuggling, kidnapping, doing, doing what they do. But I think the other thing to, to say about it is it, it is very important in a, a wider energy security tense. You know, the fact is that it's one of the major gas plants um, in Algeria. Um, it is producing gas that comes into Europe um, in, in quite substantial amounts. The very effect of The attack is traumatic upon the industry, and you have to look at Algeria supplying um, the European Union with a, nearly a quarter of its natural gas. Now, if that gets cut off, um, you have to say, well, where is it going to come from? From Russia. So there's actually a, a strategic purpose. You know, that whoever was going to attack this. Not only were they looking at an isolated place in the parts of the desert where they were operating, but also they found something that really is probing uh, the strategic underbelly of, of Europe.
0: Let's uh, talk specifically now about Mali because France says the number of troops it has sent to Mali has risen to 1,400 as the international effort to combat the country's Al-Qaeda-linked rebels intensifies. 200 Nigerian troops are expected to join them in the coming hours. Neighbouring West African countries have pledged to send 3,000 soldiers. Meanwhile, the EU training mission Mali will comprise around 200 instructors plus mission support staff and force protection, making total of around 450 staff. The initial mandate is for the mission to last 15 months. Uh, Christopher Lee, your assessment so far of the intervention?
4: Uh, The intervention was inevitable um, because the the decision was based on not just what was happening, the build-up of uh, Islamist forces, but also the real intelligence-gathering conclusions that there is a threat and remains a threat to uh, mainland France and to some extent to the United Kingdom and other European countries, that Islamist groups can not only hit, but people acting in their name can hit targets and commit atrocities or try to in in Europe. And that's the sort of build-up that you do get. And the intelligence picture is getting stronger. It's moved from possible... There are two stages move from possible to probable, and that 's the first time i 've heard about probable being used for some time in the meantime in the meantime the uh, British embassies and also I imagine French embassies already, but British embassies are being, uh, special uh, guard protection units are being sent down. The Foreign Secretary decided that at a Cobra meeting, um, I think it was about two days ago.
0: John Marks, um, reading around this week, uh, some of the talk has been that Al Qaeda was pretty much had set up a state there in Mali. Was this intervention absolutely inevitable to stop that from happening?
3: Well, I think as Chris says, the fact was that Mali, through its own profound internal weaknesses couldn't be easily strengthened you know there have been um u.s french british offers of military training and support but the fact is the malian army made its coup d'etat uh, last march that triggered many of these events because it was not fit for purpose to turn back the islamists and that remains the case so these various groups have been able to come in now you make the point what is it a state that's slightly different question. What you certainly have is the occupation of this vast area, which includes, of course, the historic city of Timbuktu, but it's not a state that has any consent. You're not talking about ethnic groups in the area looking to break away. Indeed, the ethnic group in the area that wanted to break away, who are the um, ethnic Tuaregs, who wanted to create their own state called Azawad, have come in four square behind the French intervention, precisely because this disparate group of people who go under the al-Qaeda banner, which is many different groups and many different leaderships, um, were actually imposing their view of Islam and really their um, form of dictatorship um, that the the locals didn't want so I think it was inevitable um, mm-hmm. how well the French intervention has gone to reverse that remains to be seen the Islamists do seem to be moving out of some of the urban centres but they haven't gone away it's still a region go- that's going to be in profound crisis for a very long time to okay,
0: come Okay, le- Let's go to the BBC's correspondent Mark Doyle who is in Mali uh, Mark, good to hear from you, where are you exactly? Well
5: at the moment I'm driving around the military air base um, at, which is on the other side uh, one way from the main commercial airport of uh, Bamako um, and um, I'm with some of the French and African officers who are trying to get uh, uh, international force together uh, particularly the Africans are expecting uh, today for there to be the first um, country's um, contingent of troops to arrive. The, the French are already here I've just passed uh, couple of Mirage jets on the apron and three other jets which I think I think I'm not a military man but I think they're Rafale jets which have come from France the Mirages come from the French base in Chad.
0: You say you're you're traveling with with both French and Africans the African troops are due to arrive later today um who's going to be in charge exactly?
5: Well that's a very good question (laughs) um uh, the French are already here and um the um uh, they have their own command, obviously. The Africans are going to be commanded by a Nigerian general, um, General Shehu Osman Abdul Qadir. Now, I'm not sure how um, they're going to finesse the uh, relationship between the two, the two forces. The uh, senior officers have been meeting in Bamako for the last couple of days to try and sort that out. Um, it, it, it is interesting because um, not, uh, the two most powerful countries in West Africa are Nigeria and France. Uh, France has military bases uh, around the place and a lot of influence. Um, and, and the Nigerians and the French have a, a chequered past relationship, can we put it that way? Um, they were on different sides in the Biafra War. Um, they were on different sides, essentially, on the more recently the Liberian War. Um, so uh, they have their problems, but I'm sure that the officers will find a way of um, uh, fudging it and... Um, uh, them to cooperate.
0: And have you got any sense, Mark, of what the military strategy is?
5: Well, the, the original military strategy was to bomb the um, Islamists in northern uh, Mali. Uh, that has been going on for about five days. Uh, I think it's uh, also continuing. But uh, so now a ground war has started. Uh, the French have um, uh, sent a large armoured column. Um, which actually drove all the way up from Abishan, which is on the um, Atlantic coast, the, capital, the uh, main, uh, Ivory Coast, where the French also have a military base. So the guys drove all the way up from Abishan, uh, refueled um, in a big armoured col- column and um, went up to the front. Um, exactly what's happening at the front at the moment, uh, it's slightly confusing. There were some reports of there being... Uh, direct combat between some of the Islamists and the French in a place called Gabalet, which is in the centre of Mali, about 400 kilometres away from uh, Bamako, the capital where I'm speaking to you from. Um, but then uh, there were other reports which indicated that perhaps the French had got a bit stuck um, and that the Islamists were not giving ground. So I, I can't confirm exactly what's happening, but the French are massing up there, there's no doubt about it. Um, and when the African soldiers start to arrive... And um, if they have their equipment and so on, uh, they may well join them or they may fill in behind.
0: All right. Mark Doyle in Bamako, the capital of Mali. Thank you. And John Marks, thanks for your time today.
5: with
0: Still to come, our service children getting a fair deal at school. And David Beckham and Ray Winston visit injured troops in hospital. The FBS, sit SITREP. The US Defence Secretary, Leon Panetta, is visiting his British counterpart, Philip Hammond, this week as part of a farewell tour before stepping down. Christopher, why is he here?
4: Well, what happens is if you're you're the American Defence Secretary, you're the most important Defence Secretary in the whole of NATO, um, and arguably in the Western world. What you do, you go around and say, thank you very much, it's been nice working with you, and you make your valedictory thing, and you give each other presents. But also, he will be trying to give Philip Hammond an idea, a feel for what the new man is going to be like, where the Obama administration goes. So an important visit, uh, no screaming announcements. It would be nice to sort of say, well, the war's over in Afghanistan, we've all, uh, etc." But, you know, it, it is that. It is, it is more than procedure, it is a briefing. And indeed, so,
0: on Afghanistan, uh, the meeting that's really important is going on in Brussels, isn't it?
4: It is. It's the, um, the chiefs of the defence staff of all the countries in NATO, plus the Russians... And the Russians have been there, and they in making very big noises. They're eyeballing people like the British Chief of Defence Staff, uh, General Sir David Richards, and saying, listen, you're telling us that you're coming out in 2013, 2014, OK? That's fine, but we believe that the whole thing is going to go to hell in a handbasket after that on, under the plans that you're telling us now. And the uh, what, in, what, what
0: impact will those kind of statements make, if any?
4: Um, it. I think it's confirming what they probably don't say publicly. And also they're pretty sceptical. But they have a look and they say, why is the general, why is this Russian general saying this? And the minds have to go back to 1979 when the Russians invaded or intervened, as we now say, into Afghanistan. And the reason they did that is because they feared an Islamic-based country in Afghanistan, which would impinge on their borders where they have Muslim Populations and therefore cause instability. Now, this is before the end of the Cold War, before the end of communism, etc. But those same fears exist as a security problem in, in Afghanistan and also in Russia, and they've got a lot to say about it. And they're already thinking about moving new divisions, three divisions, in fact, closer to the border.
0: Well, um, as we've often discussed on this program, the future stability of Af- Afghanistan will be determined not only by the international governance of the, co- the internal governance of the country, but by the stability and influence of its neighbours. That's a worry, of course. Pakistan's government is on the brink of collapse, and Pakistan and India have intensified hostilities over Kashmir. Oh, Christopher, is there a plot to overthrow the government in uh, Pakistan?
4: There is pl- certainly a plot to unseat it. There is there is a there is a guy that's turned up from Canada, and he's a preacher boy as they would say in Canada, Uh, and he is set up camp opposite the Parliament in a bulletproof box because he's either going to get assassinated This is Tahitul Kadri, yes. Kadri, remember the name because we're going to hear it a lot. And he is saying the people in Parliament are crooks, they're, uh, they're collaborators, they're corrupt, etc. What they're trying to do is to get the government to resign, which will be a shame because the elections are in March, and this will be the first civilian government that's ever gone five years' term in, in March, but the importance, the huge importance of all this is that if Pakistan goes unstable in a very big way, there will be a temptation, not from the chief of the general staff, General Kanye, because he said, no, we stay out of politics now, but some of his mates down the chiefs of staff corridor. There is a movement in Pakistan at the moment for this man, Kadri for the judiciary under Chief Justice Chowdhury and for some of the generals informally to get together and try and take over government. And if that happens, you will not have the firmness that's needed to be able to guarantee some sort of stability, like controlling um, Islamic militants, etc., for Afghanistan. And that's why Karzai and Co., and that's why the general in, in, in Brussels today are really worried about the future in just 18 months' time.
0: Stay with us, Christopher. MPs who've been examining the Armed Forces Covenant have turned their attention to schools. The Defence Select Committee is looking at whether promises on the standards and provision of education for Forces children are being kept. A shining example of what can be achieved is Holton Combined Community School near RAF Holton in Buckinghamshire. Since becoming headteacher four years ago, Sue Scrimshaw has turned the previously failing school into one judged outstanding by Ofsted. I spoke to Sue a little earlier and asked her about the Public perception of the school before she became head.
6: Basically, I think the impression was just that it was a school not to go to. It's um, directly it was adjacent to the RAF camp, and just down the road is a very beautiful, leafy Chilton village, which had an outstanding primary school, which is still an outstanding primary school. And actually, interestingly I, I worked there to start with, and people just seemed the word was out that Holton wasn't a school to go to, and people seemed to drive past the school, even from RAF Holton down into Wendover whenever there was a place. I think in some way the reputation was very unfair because pastoral care at the school was always really good and was a real strength of the school. The were just one of two things that the school was failing to do, which I think became bigger, and I say that's when the downward spiral started...
0: And what exactly are the needs of a school with a high population of service children and what are the children's individual needs?
6: I think it's it's one of those traps that's really easy to fall into to say that service children have needs because they're service children and that's not strictly true. I I mean, our service children are very bright, confident and capable children but it's the issues around mobility that we found were affecting us most because our children as they may be on their fifth or even sixth school by the time they get to us and because the communication hasn't always been there between schools sometimes children arrive with very poor records they arrive with different sort of assessment levels they may have missed some parts of the curriculum or covered some parts lots of times so there needed to be lots done to address where children are and find out where they are when they started to school and to kind of fit the education to the child and also just to enable them to settle quickly into school and start learning and for us I think that's been a key part of our success.
0: Tell me a little bit about the the specific measures you put in place because I understand you have a a mentoring scheme as well.
6: Well what we have, the the main thing that we do have is um, what started out as a mobility coordinator scheme which was something we sort of borrowed from some of the SCE schools in Cyprus, uh, where we have a specific member of staff whose role was to mitigate the impacts of that mobility. So to spend time with children, settling them in, alongside all the sort of class buddy schemes and things you would expect to see. She does work with children on their, you know, the fond memories of their previous school, previous home, previous life, what they're slightly anxious about in starting a new school it's just, I think, getting to know children really quickly and being able to sort out some of those anxieties and to build on their strengths means that children settle quickly and start to learn again quickly, which is the key thing. Likewise, when a child leaves Holton, we sort of do the same thing in reverse, if you like, so that we're putting them in a good place to start at a new school.
0: What would you like to bring to the attention of the Commons Defence Select Committee on on the whole issue of the education of service children?
6: I do think the service people's premium is a really good thing and I, I think that you know is something that should be commended because now at least there is a bit of money going into schools that schools are accountable for and I think that's also a very good thing. We have to prove what we're doing with that. And I think it's just that the needs of the service community need to be recognised and for some schools, I think they don't know what they don't know. So it's just a matter of um, broadening... The knowledge base, if you like, in schools that are dealing with service families, and just making sure that all education for service children is as good as it can possibly be.
0: Sue Grimshaw, head teacher of Holton Combined Community School in Buckinghamshire. Well, I'm joined now by a member of the Defence Select Committee, MP for Colchester, Sir Bob Russell. Thanks for your time today, Sir Bob. What are your main concerns about the education of children from forces families?
1: Well, following on uh, the, the the last person there, we need to ensure that. Children of military personnel, whether that be Navy, Army or Air Force, do not lose out. Uh, That's the bottom line, and we should then build on that. Actually, this is not a a new subject. As I had a debate on this over ten years ago in the House of Commons when there was far more movement um, of of army families, with infantry in particular. Uh, I think the army is now more settled uh, than it used to be. Obviously, there's still a lot of uh, movement. And uh, what the Defence Select Committee wants to do, they did an inquiry a few years back, and they're now going to do it again. We need to uh, keep up to date. So there are two inquiries, actually. There's one into the education of service personnel, people who are actually in Her Majesty's Armed Forces, and also the educating the children of service personnel. Um, and, and both of them are very important. They, they are separate inquiries, although obviously the word education appears in, in both, and we're trying to bring it up to date because of the Armed Forces Covenant, because the Armed Forces Covenant um, makes on the... Children of service personnel says there should also be special arrangements to support access to schools if a place is required part way through an academic year as a consequence for posting. Now, if I'm just bringing a constituency issue here, I, I, uh, on the Montgomery uh, Estate in Cods, so we have an infant school and a junior school, which for their 50 years or so of existence have been, if not exclusively, certainly predominantly, army children. But with the Allington Homes having sold off a large part of the army estate housing, um, we've now got civilian families. And only in the last uh, two or three weeks, I've had a report from the infant school that the head could not take in army children because the school is full. And what I have to do, and this is what I hope the inquiry will uh, throw up, is that we, we must insist that an army school must give priority to army children. Uh, otherwise they're going to be sent to schools elsewhere in the town where there won't be the army ethos. And, of course, when a a brigade is deployed overseas overnight, you have several hundred um, single-parent families in effect because dads, and it usually is the dads, but sometimes mums obviously as well, Hmm. are deployed overseas. So So is that
0: one of the main aspects you'll be looking at in this inquiry? uh, Well, it is
1: an aspect. We need to make sure that when service children move from one county to another or... There won't be many going to Germany that will be more the other way coming uh, this way. Uh, but we have got Cyprus and other overseas um, postings. Um, the Falklands is a, a particular issue that um, has been raised with us because while the primary school um, education on the island um, is fine, there are questions, and I put it no more than that, there are questions over secondary school provision and how that can um, best be done. So we w- need to make sure that the, the turbulence factor, to use a technical phrase, the turbulence factor in education for for children is not a a disbenefit, and we want to ensure that all the schools, um, all the children get the education they need. And and one aspect of that is the pupil premium, which in the case of my five calls to schools comes to nearly £200,000 a year. Okay,
0: so so you want written evidence, don't you, from people in the service community? How can they get in touch?
1: Well, um, those people, who they can either either write um, to the Defence Select Committee, House of Commons, London SW1A, O A A, or they can or they, or they can um, e email it, and I'm going desperately trying to find it. Here we here we go. Uh, it's um, email to defcom at parliament.uk. So it's right. defcom defcom at parliament.uk. All right. And um, but submissions can also be um, sent by post to the Defence right. Committee at the House of Commons, London S W one A O.
0: I think that's very thorough. Thank you very much for that, Sir Bob Russell. Thanks for your time today. Now, this week, the footballer David Beckham and the actor Ray Winston visited injured troops at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Both men have experienced military life in Afghanistan on separate visits to Camp Bastion. Our reporter Claire Sadler was there and asked Ray Winston
2: how the visit had gone. You you always turn up at these places, you're very nervous about what you're going to see because you're seeing people who who are suffering, you know. But you you kind of walk away from the place, and they were finished, um, very uplifted. Because you know they're being treated right. You know the staff here are kind of amazing, and I think that goes all the way through the system, from all the way from Bastion or any other war-torn place that we our boys are. The way they're looked after, from from the moment it happens, to the moment they're put together, and sent back out into the world, it seems to me it's it's getting better and better and better every year. So it's it's very uplifting.
0: And what do you chat to the guys about when you come here?
2: Well, it's kind of up to them, because it depends what state of mind they're in, you know. Um, if you, you can look at a kid who's, who's laying there, he's got all his, all his limbs, but you don't know what his frame of mind is, so you kind of let, you wait for them to speak first. Uh, and then you can talk about the event that happened if, you, if they want to. You can talk about the weather outside, you can talk about the football, or whatever it is, you know. So really, um, it's a mixture. So mixed with all different things mm. I think they like having a laugh it's that kind of gallows mentality that I think you have only find in the armed forces really
0: You, I think it's fair to say you're a big supporter of the military why mm. is that? Why did you get behind them? Well
2: before that I'm a, I'm a supporter of our, our kids really um, you know uh, wars and things like that come secondary really it just happens that's, that's what's going on uh, I'm, a, I'm a supporter of our boys that go in because a lot of them join the army in the first place because they haven't got a job you know, going to learn a trade and they find themselves in some, some field in some foreign country having a war. And, and you know, it, I've spoke to them about Iraq, where a lot of them believe that Iraq was a place they shouldn't be. But you speak to most of the boys that are in Afghanistan and they believe they should be there and they're there for the right reason, you know. And you learn a hell of a lot from them uh, politically and uh, about what is going on in the world, you know. These kids are out there protecting my children and the world, that, whatever the world's going to be. You know, when I'm dead and gone. So I think it's only myself and the rest of the country support them.
0: You've been to Afghanistan. Yeah. 2009, I think, you yeah. went, didn't you? Yeah. Does that sort of give you a little
2: bit of an insight when you come here and help you sort of... It's a big insight, I think. Um, uh, I never asked to go to Afghanistan. I was drunk in a naffy with a load of mates, and they said I should go, and I was being kind of brave on drink, a bit of Dutch courage, and I said, yeah, of course I'll go. And the next thing I knew, I was on a plane and went away to Afghanistan. And I have no regrets of that whatsoever. It was um, an eye-opener for me. I, I, I went on a plane with young boys going out there, and uh, within two days, they were men. They were running the city, you know. Um, I've never seen nothing like it. And to see the way that they... Uh, react with American soldiers, Danish soldiers that are all there, uh, is absolutely mild. People talk about, you know, the Yanks and this, the Yanks. The Yanks are fantastic. The Americans look after our boys. Our boys look after them. And there is that. And you've got to remember, forget the politics of it, forget who's in charge of creating wars, you know. It's it's our boys, it's our people we look after. I think that's right.
0: Ray Winston talking to our reporter, Claire Sadler. Christopher, are both of those men, David Beckham and Ray Winston, A-listers, um, not doing it for publicity, like some people have been accused of doing in the past. Um, so why do they do it?
4: Why do they do it? I mean, it's, it's, I think it's part of, part of the thing when you become a bit of a star and then you, you've got a wider horizon. But what the guys would like to see, they'd like to see Kate. I mean, not this Kate, but the other Kate, Kate Middleton and the Duchess of Cambridgeshire, that's who they'd want to see. Just now, there's they, a thought. Well, just they, just not sure they,
0: she'd be allowed to fly over, over to Afghanistan right now. In yeah, that condition. why not? Why not?
4: <laughs> why not? But the same way as they always wanted to see Diana, and mm. that is the something which says you didn't an have interesting to come. thought. You didn't have to come, do you? Uh, uh, on a darker note, um, what's going on in Mali and the consequences of it, COBRA, which is the committee that sits in the Cabinet Office keeping an eye on everything and reacting very quickly to disaster is sitting now permanently and that hasn't happened for a long long time Uh, and the embassies are being guards forces are being reinforced that's how serious what's going on in Mali is
0: well that's all we have time for this week my thanks to all of our guests and of course our own defense analyst Christopher Lee we'll be back same time next week thanks for listening